The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. My heart is also broken today with what happened in Pittsburgh. And uh, just another call for us to stand in a place of heart and higher vision as we see the toxins of our culture erupting to be healed and uh, stand in that healing place and our hearts and our love go out to them. And it seems like as we're building a bridge to breakthrough here as a community, as we're bridging change and bridging Mile High into its next and greater chapter of good, so too are we all on a journey of building a bridge from what was to what will be in our life. And so is our culture. We're bridging from old, divisive, uh, bigoted, uh, discriminatory ways into uh, the next phase of human consciousness, which is unconditional love and, and, a, and a respect and a high vision of collaboration and co-creation. So we stand together with that as we continue our Bridges to Breakthrough, our Adventure in Faith 2018. We've got our bridge going right here, and seven planks will be in that bridge uh, as we bridge from what was to what will be to the past, from the past to the future, from pain to the possible. Now, uh, in all the twists and turns of our lives... Uh, what Cheryl's saying to us today, believe in yourself, that is such a key. Uh, it's such a step of heart that's essential for our fourth step today in bridging. And that is re-entering the game. Re-entering the game. So you see where we are on this bridge. We're at the uh, crest, at the summit of this bridge. And we have three steps in place. Uh, and the, the first step is accepting change. The second step is honoring feelings. And the third, then last Sunday, we talked about embracing transformation. And the virtues for each of those steps are in place on our bridge there. Courage is required to accept change, accept endings. It takes courage. And then honoring feelings, not stuffing them, but honoring them with honesty. And then we talked about that we initiate the transformational process in our life through the spiritual power of surrender, surrendering into the flow of something greater in and through us. And uh, so then uh, we're right at the, at the crest of this bridge, looking forward into what we sense is the new uh, and what we sense can be breakthrough territory for each and every one of us. And yet here we are right in the middle of this bridge, and it's kind of an interesting place. There are remnants of the past still being felt and dealt with, and then there's the hint of the possible, uh, the hint of the greater good stretching out before us, three steps behind us and three steps before us. But here we are perched in this precarious place in between, and I think it's a critical decision point, this place in between. We can either continue our process honoring all of the changes and the feelings and surrendering continually to be ready to move into the new, or we fall back. And we can fall back uh, into the past. We can fall back into clinging uh, and into our attachments and try to carry elements of the old into the new. And thus we distort the new. Uh, a friend of ours, Mark Nepo, talks about a conversation he had with a friend of his. And the friend told him about a time when he was determined to paint his family room. So he went out to the hardware store and he got a couple of gallons of red paint. And then he got some stirring sticks. 
and some drop cloths and a big paintbrush. And he came home and he opened the paint up and he stirred the paint out on his lawn. And then he grabbed, or he put uh, drop cloths under each arm and he grabbed two of the gallons of paint and he had the paintbrush clenched in his teeth. And then he waddled up to the front door and tried to get the door open. And in his own words, the man said, I teetered there for minutes, trying to open the door, not wanting to put anything down. I was so stubborn. I had the door almost open when I lost my grip, stumbled backwards and wound up on the ground, red gallons all over me. And he says he laid there stunned and then started laughing hysterically at himself. Well, we tend to do this a lot in our life, not just with paint, but with our groceries and stuff, but also with uh, our challenges, with, with our pain, with our sense of truth. We refuse to put things down so that we can enter into the newness, so that we can open into the newness. And that's the danger at this particular point in this technology of bridging, is that we'll try to carry stuff into what wants to really be new and really be advanced in our lives. We've got to put that down. It's so easy to drag old fears in more than anything else. I mean, having felt pain, we fear feeling new pain and we try to insulate ourselves. Having weathered change, we actually get paranoid more about new change and we become more attached and more rigid. Having grieved, we fear opening our hearts and we close them down. And, and having lost the familiar, we drag in fear and we fear the new, we fear the bold, we fear the unexplored. And as I, sa- I shared last Sunday, these are phenomena in consciousness, but they have a physiological uh, correspondent in our brain. You see, it's the limbic brain, often called the old brain, that is wired, deeply wired and programmed around fear and survival. And the the limbic old brain hates change. In fact, that's the part of the brain that simply hates, period, the old brain. The new brain, the neocortex and the prefrontal cortex, are the arenas that we have birthed physiologically and in consciousness that are capable of higher-order thought, that are capable of dreaming of a higher order, of of having even higher spiritual values and spiritual experience. Now, when when we experience our minds behaving tyrannically, we are we are playing old software. We're running old software from the old brain. And and we get caught up in that. What we can do is, first of all, recognize that we're coming from old stuff. We're coming from fear. We're coming from survival. We're immersed in the hate of change or hate itself. And we can do the most powerful thing any of us can do, and that is open our hearts. Because as it says in the Bible, perfect love casts out fear. It's the antidote, the elixir to fear. And if we can, in the midst of all of this stuff going on in our heads or in our emotions, open our hearts and be present to it. As I said a couple of Sundays ago, to simply have the strength to witness the junk coming up in ourselves or in our culture. 
to stand open-heartedly and see the junk, but not get pulled into it, but to see it for what it is, not get drugged into the stories or create new stories about it, not to sink in it, but to stand witness to it from a place of heart. Inevitably, that energy is permitted to come out and to disperse and dissipate itself, to dissolve itself. And then we have a clear space to make new choices in our lives. Life really is offering us so much more. And when we've had loss or change or heartache, we can build this bridge, but we get to the point where we are right now where we have to ask ourselves, am I really ready for the new? Am I really, really ready to go into profound newness and not carry a bunch of the old stuff with me, try to get it in there too? Am I really ready for that? It's kind of like... um, Folks, some elect, uh, like sitting on a bike with the kickstand down. You know, it looks good, but it's still paralyzed and pretty much ineffective. We're called to really move into the game, re-enter the game. One of my favorite illustrations about this that I hold in such great compassion, because perhaps we've all had a similar experience symbolically, is that of a man named Roy Regals. Roy Regals. Now, Roy um, was a a tremendous football player. He was an All-American football player and captain of his team. He played for the UC Berkeley Bears. Well, in the 1929 Rose Bowl, one of the biggest games, they were playing against Georgia Tech, and he was playing defense. And at one point in the game, there was a fumble, and he picked up the fumble, but he ran the wrong way, and he scored a touchdown for the other team. Well, he was mortified, as you can only imagine, and so uh, at halftime, he was disconsolate. He was sitting over in the corner, just his head between his legs. He was just uh, weeping, and he wanted nobody around him. And finally, his coach, Nibs Price, had a long talk with him, trying to get to him. And finally, he stood him up. He said, Roy, get up and get back. The game isn't over yet. And he said it again, get up and go back. The game isn't over yet. And I say that to you too, if you've been down. Get up and go back. The game isn't over yet. Well, Roy did that. And he went out and he played like a man possessed. He played the best game of his life and he assisted his team, the Bears, to beat Georgia Tech in that game. Get up and go back. The game isn't over yet. It's to remember, it's time to re-enter the game. There's a time when it's important for us to set down the stuff we've been carrying. And if we need to say we're sorry or make amends or make new agreements, nonetheless, to then keep bridging into the new. Bridge into the new. I love that Robert Frost, the great poet and author, wrote, in three words I can sum up everything I've learned about life. It goes on. It goes on, and it does. Why don't we go with it? Why don't we go with it? Because the powerful spirit within us seeks to move on, to grow and to evolve. That's why it says in the Bible, Behold, I make all things new. Old things are passed away. All things are becoming new. I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. As it says in the 23rd Psalm, Thou restorest my soul. There's something that wants to restore us and cause us to continue to move forward into our greater yet to be. 
So each week as we choose a virtue for the step, today's step being re-entering the game, the virtue is heart. It takes great heart to be willing to re-enter the game again, to pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off, and go back, not laden with a bunch of junk from the past, but to go back and to move forward on our beautiful, beautiful journey. So the virtue is heart, and the symbol we have for this week is also a beautiful one, the lion. And and in some respects, I feel like we're called to be lion-hearted. We're called to be brave and open-hearted and dynamic in that heart energy. What I would call a believing heart. That's lion-hearted. A believing heart. And I want to invite you today to bring a believing heart in three ways this coming week. First of all, a believing heart to reclaim dreams. To dust off rejected dreams and, and reclaim them. Uh, perhaps you were told it wasn't possible. Uh, you weren't good enough. Perhaps you've been cowering from some old mistake or regret. But life eventually says, get back in the game. The game isn't over yet. To reclaim that dream and keep moving on the bridge. I feel like we're in a time of reclaiming a dream for America as a land of inclusion and compassion as a place where all are supported and the potential of all is brought forth, a civil and heart-centered society. I hold that dream, and I'm not willing to let it go. And I'm willing to stand for it, as we all must stand for our own dreams in our life. I'm thinking of Stephen J. Cannell, who um, struggled as a youth in school. In fact, he flunked first grade. Now, I don't even know how that's feasible, but he did, and he flunked fourth grade as well, and he was thrown out of a lot of private schools, and in fact, he graduated finally, compassionately, at the bottom of his class, and he was told he really couldn't amount to anything. But then at age 35, he was diagnosed with dyslexia, which has nothing to do with anyone's intelligence. Um, He was a very intelligent being, and he'd always had this dream of storytelling uh, and writing, And, and so... Once he was diagnosed, he felt a new freedom, but he reluctantly went into the family's business, which was interior design. But he kept being bugged by this dream within himself. And so finally, he decided to write a story for a television show and present it. And it was for the show Adam 12. Anybody remember that? Well, I know what generation you're in. (laughs) Yeah, and I know the rest of you get to Google it. But he wrote an episode... For Adam 12, and his career shot off. He became the most prolific writer of television shows ever. Uh, He's won Emmys Awards. He's got a company that has prospered over a billion dollars. Thank God he got over the stigma, as most of us have to do from time to time, and reclaimed his dream. So I'm inviting you into a believing heart to reclaim your dreams. And then secondly, I invite you to embrace a believing heart to risk again. Because inevitably, you reclaim your dreams, you're going to be called to take risks again. And that's when we can fall backward on the bridge and we can get caught up in the old fears and feel like we're not up to it, and yet life says, get back in that game. And part of the game of life is taking risks and stretching and growing. 
And so we get to take risks. Individually, collectively, we get to take risks. I mean, maybe it's time for us to speak truth and love to power. I believe it's time to speak truth and love to stupid when it's expressed out there. And, and to take that risk to, from a compassionate place to speak of a higher good and to stand for that, to be that willing. I'm thinking also of, a, of the great Joan Rivers. Remember her, the comedian Joan Rivers? She was turned down by nearly every agent she applied to uh, have serve her. And fi- finally, an agent uh, accepted her and booked her into a show bar in Boston for $125 a week doing two shows a night and she got a crummy hotel across the street but she was happy to have a job she did her first set on her first night and the manager came to her and fired her right then and there and she was mortified Uh, she says I was fired from my first job I went back to my crummy hotel and collapsed I literally could not stop crying I cried as I stood under the shower in that filthy tub my feet protected with socks the curtain opened so that the killer from Psycho could not stab me (laughs) and standing in that dirt blackened tub I no longer knew whether the thing inside me struggling to get out was talent or an obsession but I didn't give in Well, she got a different agent and got fired from a second job, and that agent left her. And uh, then she tried everything, but little worked. Her mother told her, hey, you've got no talent. Stop wasting your life. A really powerful agent told her she was too old, but she just kept going. Uh, She was 31 years old. She just kept going, and uh, she slept in her car. She lived out of a single suitcase. Her uh, telephone was a payphone in Grand Central Station. Uh, the talent coordinator for the Tonight Show rejected her, but she would not quit. Then finally, at that age of 31, things started turning, and she became recognized as a great comedian. Then she got her own talk show, and it won an Emmy, and she became the first permanent hostess for the Tonight Show. And uh, then she wrote a book, and and as you know, she did some of the pre-show commentaries for the Oscars and the Golden Globes, and and those kinds of shows, and just had an incredible career before she passed in 2014. A 50-year incredible career because she wouldn't give up, and she kept risking again and again and again. She said, some see success as a lucky lottery ticket that one chances upon. It is important to note, in my case, that I was 31 years old, 31 years of hearing no, 31 long years before the acceptance began, and that even in my darkest moments... I knew instinctively that my unyielding drive was my most important asset. And so she says to us all, never stop believing. Never give up. Never quit. Never. Never. So I'm inviting you to have that believing heart. And you've got it. To risk again. And then finally, to have that believing heart to recommit unconditionally. To recommit. You know, in some respects, I think we have a society built more on attachment than commitment. And we get attached to our comforts, attached to our viewpoints and uh, belief systems, productive or not. We get way attached. But commitment is of a higher order. You know, commitment is to heart and to values and to a vision of what's possible and for the good of all. And I'm inviting you to explore what's your commitment to your life and what's your commitment to the grand experiment we're all a part of. 
and to commit without the need for guarantees. And some people withhold their commitment, stay attached to the past, attached to their fears, attached to their lesser opinions. But to commit and to do so without even knowing how, without guarantees in this life, to commit, to let life unfold in a higher and grander way. That's what gets us going across that bridge, is to recommit unconditionally. Naomi Remen, a great physician and psychiatrist, tells about one of her patients who was a young man who got separated from his skiing party in the mountains and he was lost for three days, but uh, miraculously he was found and he was still alive. But he was experiencing uh, frostbite and severe gangrene. And they thought that both of his feet would need to be amputated. And yet his left foot improved. However, his right foot deteriorated more and more. And yet he, he was so attached to that, he couldn't see himself without a limb. And, and he was refusing to have the amputation. And meanwhile, toxins from, from the gangrene were flooding into his body. And he just kept refusing. His family was desperate and, and so upset, and, but yet he flatly refused to have the procedure. Well, the turning point came when his fiance, who faced the prospect of losing her husband-to-be, just stood up and screamed in the room and she sobbed and she said, I hate that foot. If you want this foot so much, why don't you marry it? And she took off the engagement ring and slapped it on the swollen toe of his right foot. She said, you're going to have to choose. You can't have us both. So the young man sat there looking at that engagement ring on his toe and he scheduled the surgery and he had the surgery. And he went forward in his life. What's it? Attachment to what was? Attachment to littleness? Attachment to what's worn out? Attachment to what has ended? What needs to change? There's a higher state called commitment. And that's where our hearts instruct us about our dreams, about the need to take new risks and instruct us on what really matters in this life. And so we let go of the lesser that we're trying to take into the new and perched at this place to re-enter the game. Yep, it's about heart. It's about having the heart to risk, to dream, more than anything, to see if our commitments are of the very highest order and to commit unconditionally, unconditionally. So, I'm inviting you to be lion-hearted this week to let go of what really finally needs to be let go of. And to remember, get up and get back. The game ain't over yet for any of us, ever. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, text 720 230 1404 or visit us at milehighchurch.org.